Welcome back to Stat Chat, Dishing It With D. Klatz. This is Dave Klatsky of Colgate Men's Basketball. I'm thrilled to be back here with you all. I know it's been a long hiatus, uh, but this one, I think, kind of fits the time of year, and I'm kind of glad that I put it out now. As I, I did have this on the docket for a while, um, at least in my head, but it kind of makes more sense to do it later in the year when the data is more significant. So, so yeah, so th- this show features none other than Ken Pomeroy, who I consider a godfather of advanced statistics in college basketball. And if you listen to this podcast or follow college basketball, you probably already know who he is or at least what his site is, and that's the KenPom.com site. Uh, so this episode basically takes you through um, that site and – kind of simplifies it for you in a way. There's a whole lot of data on that site, and we kind of talk through what's important, what's not, what you should be looking for. Um, so I've had a lot of people ask me how I game plan or, 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 or prep for games from an advanced statistics lens, and I go through that, but I also wanted to make sure that we had somebody else on the show that could kind of talk about what I may be missing because I'm just – doing it through what I've learned. So I was really lucky to be able to get Ken Palm himself on the show to kind of, you know, fill in the gaps and talk about things that I may be missing or that he intended to or, or features that he's looking at uh, for the future that would help or may not help. So um, this is this one's got a lot. I think, I think you'll enjoy it. Uh, you may want to grab a pen and paper because – there's a whole lot he gets to that uh, I learned for sure. So um, with that being said, uh, good luck in your conference tournaments, and I uh, hope you enjoy this one. Hello, and welcome back to Stat Chat. I'm Dave Klasky, and today's guest is someone I'm honored to have on the show. I consider him a kind of a uh, godfather of advanced statistics, uh, a meteorologist turned stat guru, Ken Pomeroy, welcome to the show. Uh, how's it going over there? Hey, Dave. It's going great. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, you were like, you're a true, like, early adopter of my work. I just, I was going through my email archives, and I have an email from you back in February of 2008, before you were, before you were in coaching, and uh, and it's kind of cool to see everything that's happened to you, getting into coaching, having success, but uh, when people say they're early adopters, like, you're, you can back it up at least with some correspondence. Absolutely. I, I was at Stevens Tech, a Division Three school at that time, and uh, I remember keeping the Ken Palm stats for them uh, for the Division Three level, and nobody knew what I was talking about. <laughs> so the coaches, the players, <laughs> but they uh, they enjoyed uh, hearing some mathematical or a different take on a lot of different things. So um, so it's come a long way, and uh, I'm glad you could join me today. Uh, I think you know uh, I, I was been trying to do something like this for a while where I kind of, I'm calling it dissecting Kempom because the site, your site, Kempom.com has become so prevalent and so popular, uh, but there's so much data on it that I thought it'd be a good idea to one, kind of go through how I as a coach use it and could help some other coaches. And then two, kind of hear your perspective on what we should be kind of looking for and what things that, you know, might be hidden in, in, uh, in the, in the data that, that we may be missing that you think uh, could be useful. Um, so that's kind of how we're going to attack this. So um, I guess I'll start by asking you, you know, as a, you know, let's say you are a coach and you're about to start preparing for a game, where do you start? Well, what, what's the first thing you should look at? And then I'll kind of go into what, how, what I do uh, after you give us your take. Yeah, uh, so I think we should – State up front that I'm not a coach and I have zero coaching experience. So uh, most of what I do is, you know, from the fan standpoint, obviously I interact with coaches on occasion, but uh, I still consider myself uh, definitely a, an amateur in that respect. Um, I think the way I approach things is really, first of all, just consider like what what stats uh, matter. Uh, what are you know, basically every stat is like the product of kind of skill and some sort of randomness and um, so you can think of, like, opposing, you know, your free throw percentage defense is, like, entirely a product of randomness, so we wouldn't really <laughs> care about that, you know, if we're just preparing for a game. Um, and likewise, like, 
three-point attempt percentage, like that is has very little randomness in it. So, you know, you look at a team's uh, three-point attempt percentage uh, to date, even after like three or four games, like there's a pretty strong signal there, and you can get a really good sense of a, a team's shooting tendencies in that respect. Um, so, you know, that's kind of how I approach each, you know, each stat I look at. And I, I think the first things I, I'm looking at are, um, you know, certainly it's more like a funnel. You know, you look at like high-level stuff, you know, how good is the team's offense, how good is their defense. Then, you know, why is their offense good? Why is their defense good? Um, you know, breaking down the shooting stats further, there's any nuggets there. <clears throat> um, assist uh, percentage is actually kind of an interesting stat as well. I don't think it's any play in the mainstream, but certainly defensive assist percentage is a very stable stat. And so are you, you know, is the team likely to, to force you to score off the dribble or, or off the pass? So that's kind of how I look at it. You know, pace, we haven't talked about pace, but pace is another stat very stable early in the season and not the product of luck. So, uh, you know, to me, I guess the first things I look at are kind of like style-type stats and, like, what style can I expect that, uh, each of these teams to play in a, in a game that I'm going to be watching. Sure, sure. And, and I think uh, I think one of the good things about doing this this podcast kind of later in the season is uh, you touched on a little bit about what's stable and what's not. But, uh, you know, we are currently 15 games into our conference schedule so the data is pretty telling at this point. So we can talk a little bit about more uh, a better snapshot of a team at this stage, whereas, you know, if we did this in December where, you know, you're five, six games in and you're playing not like opponents, and I hope we can, we can get to that a little bit later, but um, that's why this, this could be good because I think with the, the data will be the data and, and most likely be more accurate than, you know, if you, you had five games. So, um, but go, going back to the original question I asked you, um, and I think for me, the way I attack it is, I, like you said, I want to know everything I can about the team from a, from a statistical standpoint. So usually even before I watch film, I'll go on your site and I'll click on the team. So uh, we're, we're playing Holy Cross. My scout's Holy Cross next Wednesday. So I'll click on a team like Holy Cross. And I'll kind of just go through. So I'm going to I'm going to talk a little bit about the things that I find important that I think you can game plan for a little bit. And and uh, I always click conference only to start, especially when we're this deep, because um, and maybe we can tangent real quick, because I do want to ask you about this, and I'll come back to it. But uh, I like to see how teams do against like opponents. Um, so in conference, to me, is always more important. Uh, do you find value or ha- have you done any studies on the, the likelihood of being, of, of these stats being consistent? Like, for example, um, early in the year, we play Syracuse, we play Pitt, uh, South Florida, who, um, are a little bit more aggressive than we are and we struggled, uh, let's say, with our offensive rebounding percentage. But then in league, we're a little bit better. So is there, am I, would you say I'm correct in that assumption or, it is what it is, and the numbers kind of because it's I don't I don't know if that number is an adjusted number, but um, would you say that that's a, a good um, action by me to to consider conference more than overall? Yeah, certainly at this point in the season. So the only the only thing that's adjusted on on the team page is the efficiency and the tempo. Like everything else is uh, just the raw numbers. And yeah, like you say, like, you know, conference play, the, the schedule's more controlled. Everybody in your conference has played, you know, roughly equal schedule to this point. So those rankings are, 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 you know, probably more useful to you than the national rankings or your national numbers. The only, uh, I guess, I, so I guess I have a question for you as well, but let me, uh, just set that up by saying that even 15 games can be kind of a small sample depending on, you know, some of the circumstances around your team. So there's some things that I, you know, I might rely on more for the full season. You know, like some of the player stats, player three-point shooting, I think I wouldn't necessarily just trust conference play. I'd, I'd want to see the whole sure. season also. Sure. Like you can, uh, They both have their role. I guess the question I have for you, though, and I've, I've talked to other coaches about this, is that do you – I guess how much meaning do you put in even more recent play? Like I've talked to, you know, I, like the Duke coaching staff, I think, you know, something they do, I've heard, is like they will – Coach K wants to see stats from like the last four or five games. And I guess I'm curious your thoughts on that, how you approach that. Do you, is there some additional meaning you want to see from like, you know, the last two weeks of games? 
Absolutely. And uh, that was actually, I, I pulled some of my uh, former stat chatters on, on questions to ask you. And this from John Andrzejczyk, who's now at Dartmouth. One of his main questions was the recency, to, the recency to, uh, statistics and if you could, if there could be a feature to, to do something like that. And his example was, you know, we may have started out the year in our first 10 games being just okay on offense, but over the last 15 games, We've been terrific. So, uh, is there a way to weight the early games less and as you go on, kind of eliminate them all together? Um, so that, that was going to be one of my questions to you. But to answer your question, I absolutely want to know the recent games, but because you need the whole picture, I, I don't like to just forget about all the early games. I think, I think teams get better, kids get better over time, but I do usually look I go on synergy for this, but I'll, I'll basically click the last five to six games and mainly to see who's playing and who's scoring more. Uh, like you said, with shooting, I think that's, you know, in five or six games, you're not going to get a true picture, uh, usually. Um, but you can see who's playing well and who's, who's kind of, uh, minutes have decreased and, and things like that. So I do think that's very important. And obviously on your site, there's no way to do that. I don't know if that's a, a future feature, but that would be something that would be pretty cool to see. Um, you know, maybe even a graph where you could click on something. I don't know if, you, if this is in the works or anything, but something like so you got I could see my offensive efficiency or my offensive rebounding percentage over on a graph from game one to game whatever whatever we're at now. Is that is that something you've ever thought about doing? Yeah, I've actually you know I've been kind of dabbling more in the in graphical type tools, and not much of that is made to the site this year. But yeah, stuff stuff like that, like just being able to kind of you know, visually see variation over the course of the season and being able to maybe filter out certain competition as well. You know, you don't want to see, you know, how the games against the top 50 have influenced your stats. You just want games against teams that are similar to you. Yep. Um, yeah, I mean, I can totally see how those features would be useful and trying to implement those is a, a bit of a challenge. I hate, you know, in the early days, back when you were emailing me in 2008, like I would just throw a feature <laughs> on the site and, and not care, you know, because I had very, you know, very small following. And now it's like, if I throw a feature on the site, I feel like there's some expectation of permanency there. And so I want to make sure it's good and useful and that I like it and that I can kind of sell it to people. So, uh, yeah, no question. Like uh, the graphical stuff, I think is the way to kind of approach what you're talking about. And, uh, yeah, hopefully I can, Hopefully I can bust something out here in the off season that will be uh, useful in that respect. Well, I, I, I do respect the fact. I think I read it somewhere, and then I, I asked you. Uh, um, you know, I forgot to mention that, that one of the reasons I, we're doing this now is I got a random email from you uh, asking for tickets to a home Colgate game. So I was thrilled that you were coming up to Central New York, and that kind of reinvigorated my my idea to do this uh, type podcast with you. Uh, but. Um, but yeah, I, I, I was surprised to hear that you do all the programming and every all the, all the code writing yourself. So I can imagine that it's not the easiest thing just to kind of throw a feature on. You don't have you know a team of of programmers you can say get this done and let me see how it looks and, and then we'll work from there. So uh, for those that don't know, he, he does most of the work. I think I read it was ninety percent of the work all by himself. So uh, so take your time on that. But that would be a, a nice little feature to have uh, going forward. Um, now now circling back. Uh, how I attack a game. So like I said, I click on Holy Cross. And like you said, the first thing I always look at is the, is the pace. So um, do they play fast? Do they play slow? And Holy Cross plays one of the slowest paces in the country. So right off the bat, you know you're going to be in a low possession game. And we're pretty low possession too. So uh, they're, they're at 64 possessions in league. And I think, uh, let's see, we are, we are uh, 66. So ninth and 10th. So this is going to be a low possession game. That matters in that everything is a little bit more uh, valued. Every possession is going to be a little bit more valued. Um, but then I go straight to the four factors. So the four factors to me are really important. Um, I like to see where they where they stack up in league and just the number, the, the raw number, to, to, to kind of know how to game plan and what to emphasize to our players before uh, and, and kind of during and, and in, in the lead up to the game. So, um and and in that, I'm looking for anything that sticks out. So if they're average, uh, I don't really, you know, it's not going to really do anything. It's not going to move the needle. But, you know, just in looking at a team like Holy Cross, they are second in the league in forcing turnovers and second in the league in not turning the ball over. So that, to me, right off the bat, 
I got to see why. Uh, are they good or bad at something else? And like you said, you kind of want to uh, look at the first number, overall offense and defensive efficiency first, and kind of then figure out why. So they're eighth in our league, and I'm going to start with defense. And uh, second, having people turn the ball over. So that doesn't really make sense because that's obviously pretty high, uh, but their defense is pretty low. So then you go, you kind of try and figure out why. And then the next stat I see is their offensive rebounding percentage, which is um, one of the worst in the country at 33%. So there's kind of why their numbers aren't as good. And that to me is like a huge signal for us. Uh, like you got to crash and this is no secret. So, you know, I think, um, anybody who's, who's played them knows like they're not the best rebounding team. So we will stress kind of crashing and, and, uh, and then on the flip side, uh, they're a really bad offensive rebounding team. So we can kind of, you know, I won't stress don't box out, but I won't really talk about it. I won't really kind of uh, even get into it. I'll just kind of know in the back of my head that um, it's unlikely they're going to be crashing two to three guys per play because their numbers say that. So, uh, and then of course, this is before I watch any film, um, but we can get into that later. Uh, and then I go down to free throw, the, the uh, free throw rate, which I think is a really important one for decision making in game. So they are ninth in our league at 24% free throw attempts to field goal attempts. And that to me is one of those things like if you have a guy that picks up two quick fouls, you can come back to that and be like, hey, you know, they're not really that good at drawing fouls. So we can take the risk. And I know you've wrote, written extensive uh, material on the coaches that are safe, the coaches that are aggressive, the coaches that don't care, the, the arbitrary number of 20 minutes left in the game to put a guy with two fouls right. back in, which has been unbelievable. If you guys, anybody out there hasn't read it, it will change your opinion on what to do with guys with two fouls early. So those type things um, really matter. That's that's like the first look. I'm looking at the four factors and kind of just seeing, like you said, why a team's good on offense and why a team might not be or is good good or bad on, on defense. So um, am I am – I, Accurate in, in these uh, assessments, what, what are your thoughts on kind of the, the four factors and how important they are in, in possibly game planning? Yeah, uh, oh, I think you're on the money. I, have a, I do have a couple of questions uh, for you. So but going back to the pace, do you, do you look at all the offensive and defensive pace of the team? Not really. Not really. Okay. I'll, I'll be honest. I, I don't really look at that. I know our, our, some, some guys on our staff do. But to me, that number is kind of like if the overall is what it is, I kind of know that the offense dictates that more than the defense. So maybe, maybe I should be. Um, what, what, what are your comments on, on that? Should I be? Well, you know, I was just curious. I mean, the thing that stands out for me with Holy Cross is that their, their defensive possession length is the longest in the country. So, you know, I don't know what kind of information that conveys to your player that they play a lot of zone, right? Like it's a, Yes, all zone. Yeah. yeah, they're all zone team. So, uh, you know, their possessions are long. They force a lot of threes. We haven't gotten to that part yet. But, um, so to some, in some cases, like their, their offensive possession length is long as well. So it's, maybe it's not a big deal, but, um, some teams, there is kind of a contrast there. Some teams have a, you know, pretty fast paced offense and then they really grind you down defensively. Um, so I guess that's just like a, a tip, you know. I, again, I don't know exactly how useful it is, but it's to me. Is um, have you done anything on the uh, correlation between the length of possession, probably more defensively, and defensive rating? Is that I haven't. I don't think I've right. seen anything. Is there been anything yeah. on that? Yes. So uh, when I've looked at this, there is you know teams that tend to force longer possessions tend to have better defenses. Um, it's not. Uh, true in all cases, there's some, some weird outliers out there, but for the most part, if, if you see a team that doesn't have, uh, uh, you know, at least above average defensive possession length, like, something's probably not right with their defense, you know. Um, it can be broken down a little bit more easily. Uh, you know, the correlation's not super strong, but it is there. There isn't as much offensively. Like, some teams are successful, you know, obviously playing fast offensive possessions, and some teams are successful being really patient, but there is a, a relationship on the defensive end. Okay. Okay. I'm sorry to, to get you off your uh, four factors thoughts there, um, but go on about that. Yeah, no, I think the four factor stuff, you're on the money. I, the only thing uh, uh, I guess I wanted to uh, get more
more detail about was you talk about how Holy Cross is not, you know, they don't uh, crash the offensive glass. And so how does that change your approach defensively when a shot goes up? Like, are you, you know, letting perimeter players leak out a little bit more? Or, I mean, is there anything that goes into that? Or you, I guess, like, do you have any specifics on how you might um, approach that? The, the honest answer is no difference at all. <laughs> that like yeah. we don't that that number to me, uh, I haven't really. I, I don't know, and and maybe now that hearing you say that, maybe that is uh, uh, something you could, could could tell your team if you really wanted to be uh, you know an aggressive coach, and you know they're not going to crash too much. You could say to your guards, "Hey, look, you leak, you leak. We might be able to steal some points, and the odds are they're not going to crash, so we might be able to steal some points." But that that to me is it seems a little and I'm, don't get me wrong I'm an aggressive guy I'm a uh, I'm a risk taking guy but that that to me seems a little bit much for a team you know especially if you're a team that doesn't break that much like like us um, so that would be a little bit out of character um, so that that yep. I don't think we'd do anything seeing that number I just know that like I don't need to stress like hey you know if you're playing. Like we just played Bucknell, who's a terrific offensive rebounding team, and in the game in the days leading up, we're talking about not missing a box out in practice. If you miss a box out, point it out. So I just probably won't do that. I'll probably spend my energy somewhere else uh, in practice because I because just I know that they're not, you know, like I said, odds are they're not going to crush us on the glass. Um, so so that would be the only takeaway I get from from that number. Yeah, I think it's it uh, that makes sense. Uh, it's probably different if you are, uh, you know, like a kind of a big underdog in this game and Holy Cross's half-court defense is really strong and you feel like, how are we going to, you know, sure, yeah. against them? Then you have to maybe get more creative. But I think in your position, like, that kind of philosophy makes sense here. That, that's a great point. I, I want to touch on that a little bit. We can come back uh, to the preparation real quick. But um, we, we've kind of – at Colgate, we've kind of turned the tables here, you know, when we first started – uh, if you've listened to this podcast, you know how bad we were. We were about 320 10-pound. Now we're we're hovering around 140 or 130. I don't know. Actually, I could probably see it right here. I think we're 135 to 145. Um, is that something, like as a coach, I always would do this, but I, I, I don't know if this is too risk-taking. But when you're, uh, let's say, a 20% chance to win, should you be doing something to change the variance of the game to, to – to do something that, like, if you played by the book, the numbers say you have a 20% chance. If you played a little wild, you might lose by 30, but it might also lead to a crazier game. Is that something that, that you've thought about or you've ever heard a coach talk about, that when you're a big underdog, just change the variance, like, you know, do things that are high, more high risk or high variance uh, to try and steal points or a victory from a team that you're not on paper supposed to beat? Right. Yeah, I think – so, I mean, I first came across this idea when I first got into doing this kind of work and reading Dean Oliver's book, Basketball on Paper, and he, you know, made that point. And it's a, you know, from a just a sheer number standpoint, I think it's a, you know, fairly obvious point to make. Like, if you're if you're a big underdog, adopting some sort of high-variance strategy uh, will improve your, your chances of winning. It'll also, as you say, improve your chances of, of getting your doors blown off. But, um, you know, the goal is to win the game. So, Theoretically, you should be open to those ideas. There's obviously a limitation on, you know, getting away from what you do. Like some of those high-variant strategies, let's say, like, you know, pressing is a high-variant strategy. Like if you don't press, you don't have the kind of personnel to, like, successfully press a team right. that is, you know, has better athletes than you, let's say, or better ball handlers or whatever, uh, you know, that strategy is going to blow up in your face. So I think it's something to consider, and it's something it's also something to consider, like, you know, what are the stakes of the game? Like, you know, when you're playing Syracuse early in the season, maybe, you know, right. you're just concerned about, you know, uh, getting your kind of culture and your philosophy in place. And so, like, changing it for that one game is not going to be of much value to you. You're just going to play that game pretty much straight up. You're obviously going to scout them and try to, you know, exploit the weaknesses that they have, but you're not going to change, like, your overall, um, you know, kind of DNA too much. But, you know, when you get to the conference tournament, uh, again, you're not really necessarily in this situation where you're going to be a huge underdog in any game, but, uh, there obviously were times in the past where you were, and in that case, um, you know, you know, when you're trying to get an NCA bid, then it's time to like maybe get a little bit more creative and, and do some different things and try to do something unorthodox that your opponent doesn't expect. So I think, you know, to some extent, that idea of increasing variance is a little overblown because you do, 
for whatever you gain in terms of improving your chance of winning, you lose some in terms of just doing something that you're not used to doing. But I think there are, like, small advantages that can be had uh, in certain situations. And now what, what would you say are some of those high-variance strategies? You know, like, obviously shooting more threes is, is the most obvious one. Can you think of any others that might lead to a, high, a higher-variance game? Um, and, and for those non-stack guys out there, just the variance means just a change in what uh, your your general picture might be. So if you – and I don't, is, there, is there a number on the site that has a team's variance, like how much they stray from their, their normal? No, so I, you know, I used to have this on the site. I used to have a metric. Uh, it's actually something I stole from Dean Oliver called consistency. Uh, but it's uh, so there's two there's two aspects of it. One is like your consistency from game to game. Like if you win every game by four points, you can say you're being consistent. Then there's also consistent relative to the competition. Consistency relative to the competition, which is you know if you're supposed to beat a team by ten and you beat them by ten, that's right. being consistent. And if you're supposed to, to lose by eight and you lose by eight, that's consistent. Like so. There's two values of that, and I can never get it straight. And furthermore, like, it just wasn't terribly uh, consistent. Like, consistency wasn't consistent over the course of the season, if that makes sense. Um, <laughs> right. So eventually I, I I took it down. But um, to, to get to your original question, so, yeah, the three-point percentage, like, that's the big one. Pace is, like, the other big one. So, you know, the, the fewer possessions in a game, the more variance there should be in that game. Um, and the three-point percentage is kind of something to think about. Like, if you're playing a team that – is better than you and you're in a huge underdog, you know, uh, you know, you're in the tournament and you're a 15 seed going against a two. Like if they're a good three point shooting team, you know, you might think, well, we need to really take that away, but maybe you don't, maybe you just force them to shoot a lot of threes yeah. and hope that they have a bad day because there is like, that's one of those things. Yeah. yeah. That's one of those things. There's, there's tons of variance from game to game in three point shooting, even for good teams. Um, you know, they can have a bad night and obviously they're getting open shots. They're probably not going to have a bad night, but they can. And, uh, if, you know, you just take away, take away the pain against them and make them shoot threes, you know, that probably marginally helps your chance of winning. It also increases their chance of going, you know, 16 for 31 from threes and you losing by a yep. But that's, you know, that's, that's yep. what we're talking about, that variance. It's like, it can, it can work both ways and you're just concerned about exploiting the other end of that. And so, uh, so that's kind of a thing to think about too. That's not necessarily an idea of, yeah, you got to take away team strength. Sometimes if you, if that strength has a lot of variance, then you, you know, just kind of roll the dice and, and let them um, shoot those threes and, and, you know, hope that you get one of their bad games. Maybe it'll work out for you. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point. That's a great point. Uh, all right, circling back to kind of the preparation uh, side of it. So uh, after I do the four figures or uh, four factors in, you know, I think uh, part of this podcast, I wanted to kind of explain or kind of, you know, someone that may have never been on Ken Palm that wants to, to learn about it, those, those four factors, they're not equally important. I think that's something people uh, don't always realize also. Um, I think I found numbers that showed uh, what it was in the NBA, but, you know, effective field goal percentage is uh, a 40, a, the turnover percentage is 25, rebounding 20, and free throw. This is what like kind of what leads to winning, and so it's a percentage base, uh, and the free throw rate is about 15. So, you're going to be the best defensive team you can by the effective field goal percentage being the lowest, but you know, you can obviously it's a sliding scale. So for those that kind of are new to this, those four factors are kind of the the best snapshot of what a team is or isn't uh, that I think you can kind of gain from your site just initially. But, uh, but moving on, I think, I think you've mentioned it a little bit, but the three point attempts per uh, three uh, total, you know, uh, uh, what's the word for it? The three point three point attempt percentage is, yeah. I think, ultra important. And you know, just looking at Holy Cross, like you said, their defense gives up forty seven percent in league and about forty four percent out of league, which is really a lot. So you know, going in, you're probably going to have open threes. So not not necessarily open, you're going to have threes. Um, so that's kind of nice to know. Um, so which kind of makes sense why the rebounding is, is a little bit on the poor side too, because those rebounds are not as uh, they take different bounces than a, a layup may. Um, but that to me is a really important number. I like to see what their offensive three point attempt per field goal attempts are as well. Um, because if it's low or high, you can kind of know, should I be packing it in more? Do I have to drive them off the line? What are they comfortable with? And I think at the end of the day, you're always trying to make a team do what they're not comfortable doing. Um, the most you can. So, 
Um, so, yeah, so going in, I'll, I'll look at the three-point. And then that's kind of the, the basics of, I think, if you're a coach and you're looking at, um, you know, a, a quick game plan prep, those things are the most important. Um, what I'll do then is I always click on game plan. So that's right underneath 2019 schedule. And this, I don't know if everyone's using or even if everyone understands, but to me this page, this page is really important because, like you said, with the we talked about earlier, the recency. So I like to see, you know, like knowing that they're a bad offensive rebounding team or a bad defensive rebounding team, I'll look at the last, you know, five, six games and just see, are there any outliers? Are there any uh, numbers that may have – and early in the year, this is really important uh, just from a numbers perspective. If you're five, six games in and someone is, you know, has a 27% offensive rebounding percentage, but then you look at game plan and you see that there was a 50% in there, well, that's going to skew the stats. So you got to be careful to think one way or another if they're good or bad, if there's a, a an outlier early. Now, the outliers now with, you know, 20-some games or, you know, 18 games aren't as important, but I still like to just see, like, uh, all right, did they crush it in any game? Are they pretty consistent with it? Uh, do they have games where they're terrible at it? And then, you know, you can always go into film and watch it, but I, like, I really like this page, and pretty much after every one of our games, I like to look at our game plan to see – um, one, how many possessions there were, which you can figure out kind of easily on the box score, but uh, how we shot it, did we offensive rebound. It's just a nice um, interface to see all that in one shot uh, rather than kind of doing the math on the box score yourself. Um, so is that kind of what you had in mind with this page to, like, easily see all these numbers rather than the averages um, per se? Yeah, exactly. So you could kind of easily – uh, you know, <clears throat> look at a game line for a team and just look at the four factors. And obviously you can click through the box score if you want to see more. But, um, you know, if you're talking about uh, like one of the distinctive things about their defense is they give up, Holy Cross gives up uh, a lot of three-point attempts, which is, you know, neither good nor bad. It's just something they do. And, that, you know, the, the three-point attempt rate is like one of the most predictable things in the basketball game. Like just as predictable as the score is how many three-point attempts a team will take. And, like, you can – just as an outsider here, I can pretty much expect like you're going to take more threes than you usually do when you play Holy Cross. And like you look at your last game against them, like you took almost half of your yep. shots for threes against them. And like you know, the one thing I guess I would that would jump out at me is like Holy Cross beat fucking else two games ago. Like they're obviously capable of beating good teams. And when you look at like what happened in that game, fucking else took half of its shots from threes, and they you know they went nine for twenty nine, and they ended up not really having a good offensive game. Also, they committed twenty three turnovers, so that. That's like Holy Cross is bread and butter. That's a recipe for yep. for good defense right there. So, uh, you know, it's a really kind of quick access. I guess the one thing I wanted to ask you about on this page, uh, there's two things actually. One thing I want to get rid of is the uh, the defensive fingerprint. I don't know if you've ever used that, but it's no. Okay, no, good. That's good to hear. I don't, I don't trust it. I don't. Uh, yeah, good, um, good. I don't you trust shouldn't. it, you so shouldn't. I don't really use it. Yeah, I will just like give a little background that. Uh, you know, I created that formula probably 10, 10 years ago or so. And, and this past offseason, like, I knew it wasn't that great. Like, there's a lot of, like, things that were misidentified. So I went back and, and got all the synergy data on all the percentage of zone that every team plays. And I tried to, like, make this better formula that would really improve it and try to do some, like, machine learning. You know, I thought this would be a great application for machine learning. And uh, it, it still did not do the trick. So I'm really, like, planning to get rid of defensive fingerprint. Um, so yeah, because yeah, you know, Holy you Cross, uh, all they play is zone, and it looks like right. uh, they have mostly man, so, so it's yeah. a little inaccurate um, for them, for sure. And then, so the other thing on this page that maybe you maybe you know, but I'm guessing you don't, because I think most people don't, is that so you look at the efficiency column, and there's like a little number next to the efficiency. Do you do you know what that means, Dave? I, I do. I I actually okay. really like that number, but I, but it, it's confusing that I have to like stop and like say it to myself and then look at all their games, like click back to their, to make sure that it is like, the, well, why don't you explain it? And, and then I'll tell you, uh, uh, explain that number. Cause I think it's really important to see how you did that game compared to how everybody else does, but you, you can explain yeah. it uh, to those out there. Yeah. So that efficiency number is, you know, it's just what, you know, the raw, it's the raw number against your opponent. So uh, I'm looking at Holy Cross's page, but when they played you guys, they scored 109 points per hundred possessions basically against you. So, that was their offensive number, and then the number next to it is 11, is 11, and that basically is how they, how that performance ranked in, in all the games against Colgate. So they had the 11th best offensive efficiency against Colgate this season. 
Um, so it's kind of just a, like a, a reality check to kind of adjust your perception, perception, I guess, of that team. Like, um, uh, you know, early in the season, Holy Cross played Stony Brook and they had 128 and that was the best. That's the best performance that they, that anybody's had against Stony Brook this season. Um, so it just kind of gives you like a little bit of context for how good that performance was. Like sometimes you'll play a really good defensive team and, you know, 110 will be a really good performance. And sometimes you'll play a bad defensive team and 120 will be, you know, good, but not great. And, uh, so it's, it is a little bit confusing. It takes takes a little while for your mind to kind of wrap around it. But sometimes you look at a team and they'll have a string of like ones and twos over like a five game stretch, and it's like, like wow, they were really playing good offense because those were like the best offensive games against those teams that that, that team has seen all year. So, uh, so that's cool actually that you know that you know what I mean. That actually makes me makes me glad that somebody uh, somebody understands that. Yeah, and, and it's like I use that more with our team to see like man, like we played Army earlier in the year and. Uh, you know, our defense was a 127.1 efficiency, which was 28. That must be their, their, their best. Let me see, like, I don't know how many games that is. That, is that right? Is that, think, is that, yeah. that was their best game, I think, against our defense, right? Is that, is that, that's kind of what you're saying? Yep. Yeah. Just looking at their page. Yep. That was their best. Yep. Yeah. So like that, that is kind of like, I've talked about this on the podcast I just did, but, you know, we can't, we can't, uh, you know, uh, reinvent the wheel because they played out of their minds against us. Um, when in, you know, in reality, they're, they're kind of lower than that. They're, they've been struggling offensively, but they just killed us. They're ready to go. And, and that's part of basketball, but you, you still got to find a way to win those games. But, you know, they played one of their best games of the year, uh, according to the numbers. So that, that's, uh, I, I like that number for us. I hardly ever use it for other teams, but I like to just see, you know, were we consistent or were we not or, or were, was the team playing well or bad against us compared to everybody else they played? Right, right. Yeah, that uh, that makes a lot of sense. And, and certainly when you dig into the numbers, like they, you know, they were 63% on their twos, they were 55% on their on their threes, like especially the three-point number, you'd like to think that was maybe a little bit of a fluke. But again, I just as an outsider, I don't know, but you were, you know, you obviously watched the game and know what the quality of the shots were. And maybe you, you know, maybe a lot of those shots were contested and they just happened to fall. And, you know, like you said, that's, that's not necessarily a reason to start panicking about your defense. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. So moving on now, now I'll usually go back to the, uh, to the main page. So I'm back at the Holy Cross main page and I'll kind of look at these miscellaneous components um, to just see if anything sticks out. So, uh, what's interesting about Holy Cross this year is while they're giving up a ton of threes in league, teams are shooting the piss out of it against them. So, you know, and I kind of want to hear your opinion on this because this is an argument that uh, we get into all the time in our office. But so teams are shooting close to 40% against them, which uh, in your studies, and there's been many studies done on this, that's hard to control uh, from the from a defensive perspective that it's more – on the offense, but like if you watch their film, they're giving up a lot of open threes. So is that something you think is they're just they're just unlucky right now, and that might come down a little bit, or is it possible that it's because of the way they're playing and giving up wide open threes as opposed to maybe you know kind of threes you'll still take that are slightly challenged? Yeah. So um, this is a yeah an area that that requires i think some some deeper thinking so uh, and especially like you look at the full season like maybe where the full season numbers i think are pretty useful like full season their their opponents are shooting 35.8 um which is you know worse than the national average but not horrible yeah uh, close their, enough, their yeah. non-conference schedule doesn't like it doesn't look like it's any more difficult or any easier than the the conference schedule like they look um pretty similar in fact just looking at their strength of schedule numbers. It looks like the non-conference schedule is actually a little bit more difficult than the conference schedule. And, you know, it even looked like they played Michigan early in the season. The Michigan shot three for 19 against them. So um, that's obviously a team you'd think if anybody would shoot well against them, it would be a team like Michigan. They would, you'd think right. they would get some open shots. So um, so I, I would say that that number is uh, you're probably getting some open shots, like, and you probably should expect to shoot well against them. But um, I wouldn't hang my hat on it. And I that 39% number is – Going forward, I would, or it's like really like 40%. I, I wouldn't expect opponents, like there's only three games left, but you know, if there were more, you know, if they had like 10 games left, like I wouldn't expect teams to shoot that well against them. Um, right. There is a lot of luck in it. 
the one area, you know, there are some cases, I think, where there's less luck than others, and certainly a team that is playing a zone, um, especially if they're, you know, maybe not aggressively coming out beyond the three-point line in that zone, uh, they will, you know, you can see cases where teams like that tend to give up high three-point percentages. There's actually, like, a really good um, case. Like, there's some old, like, Chattanooga teams. Uh, if you ever want a, a really interesting kind of case study in this, um, a guy by the name of John Shulman, I don't know where he's coaching now, and I don't want to uh, impugn his reputation, but when he, when he was a head coach at Chattanooga, I don't know what defense he played, but it was a defense that gave up a lot of three-pointers, and uh, invariably over the long run, like, teams shot well against against him. Not, not, you know, not horrible, but, like, just consistently above average against him. And so um, there's not a huge correlation between three-point attempt percentage and three-point percentage. It's, very, it's pretty small, but I think at the, at the extremes, and certainly at that extreme where you're giving up a lot of three-point attempts, you tend to see teams make a lot. It, I guess this gets, here's the thing that I would – the advice I would give people is uh, – I don't know how much you've read my work – Dave, but do you know what stat predicts three-point percentage, future three-point percentage on the defensive end the best? Yeah, I've read everything, so it's two-point percentage defense. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so that, you, can talk, you can talk a little bit about that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so especially early in the season, maybe later in the season, it becomes more kind of an even pull between two-point percentage and three-point percentage. But early in the season, definitely like two-point percentage is a better predictor of future three-point percentage than three-point percentages. And we're just talking defensively now. But um, Holy Cross' two-point percentage is not great. Like, they give up 52% in conference and 52% over the whole season, which is above average. The average is 50%. Uh, It's not horrible, but it's not great. Um, So there's probably some signal there that you should be getting some open looks from three. You know, again, going into a game and expect – you can't – I don't think you can ever expect to go into a game unless you're a great three-point shooting team can't go in expecting to make 40% on their defense. If you're a 40% shooting team yourself, that's different. Like, yeah, okay, you're probably going to have a pretty good game. But if you're just an average three-point shooting team, I wouldn't necessarily get my hopes up, and I'm going to just completely torch the nets against them. I think that's a, a little bit of fool's gold there. Right, right. Uh, okay, m- moving on, um, you know, uh, some other things that stick out are their blocks and steal percentage. And the steal percentage is obviously highly correlated to uh, turnover percentage. Um, you know, just going in against them, you know that they're they're scrappy even before you watch film by their turnover percentage and their steal percentage and then their block percentage. Which you know, knowing them like I do, they have a, uh, a one tremendous shot blocker uh, that that was defensive player of the year last year. But um, the, we have a weird Colgate has a weird stat. Let me see if we're still like bottom five in the country. I think we improved a little, <laughs> but our offensive. Steal percent. I mean, teams get steals against us uh, at a ridiculously high clip. So we've we've improved a little bit since the season, since the conference play started. But it, have you ever seen anything like this, where the, the the difference between turnover percentage and steal percentage is, you know, we're 230th in turnover percentage and 330th in steal percentage? Have you seen anything like that? I mean, obviously they're correlated, but that just basically means all of our turnovers are live ball turnovers. Is that kind of uh, yeah, a, a crazy stat, or, or, or are we just right bad at that? Yeah, so that's that's something that I kind of wanted to add to the miscellaneous, and maybe if I remove defensive fingerprint, this will be on the on the table to add. But you know, also breaking turnovers down by non-steal percentage, which um, you know, is probably less non-steal turnover percentage tends to be more of the offense's responsibility, and steal percentage tends to be more of the defense's responsibility. So, um, uh. so yeah, so you're you're pretty good at like the un the unforced turnovers, but the forced turnovers you're not so good at. So um yeah, that is kinda weird and I you know certainly would expect again, just an outsider, I like I would expect there you to turn them you know, have even more steals than usual because um that's a pretty consistent thing from game to game. More steals, more blocks, you probably get more shots blocked. Um yeah, so that's um uh yeah, definitely something that I would look for just as a fan in this game is like, yeah, you're probably going to have uh, more steals. And, you know, zone steals are a little bit, bit different than, you know, steals that have a man defense. Zone steals, again, not having seen Holy Cross, but tend to be more like on the pass than, than the dribble, whereas in a man defense, steals tend to be more off the dribble than the pass. But I, only only you uh, having done this scout and, and, and broken down film would, would know if that's true. Right, right. And, and like you said, I think uh, it'll be interesting whenever you see complete outliers – 
the other, you know, opposite directions in teams play. So they're really good at getting steals. We're really bad at giving up steals. Where is it going to fall? Is it going to be probably a, a, a pivotal part of who wins the game if, if uh, we hit one extreme or the other? Uh, because obviously those are strengths and weaknesses of, of both teams. Um, so, so that, that kind of would wrap up, not wrap up, but, uh, kind of those are the things that I'd look at from a team perspective. Uh, I would then move on to the player stats. And I always, like I said, I like to see conference only. So I'll go to the expanded player page, um, underneath the, the player stats and go down to conference games only at this point of the year. Once we've had 15, um, 15 or so games in league. And from here, now, offensive rating and usage, to me, like, kind of go hand in hand. And I really – I don't really care, and maybe maybe I'm wrong in this, but the less usage you get, that offensive rating number means less to me because, you know, you might take hardly any shots and make three-pointers and your offensive rating is going to be off the charts, which doesn't mean that you're an all-league player. It just means – you're efficient in the small role that you have. So, you know, um, I'm on our team. Hold on, let me get to, to their team. Uh, so, Holy Cross. So, like, Jahavi Floyd, um, you know, 21% of the shots or uh, tw- yeah, 25% usage is kind of high, ninth in the league, and a pretty good offensive rating. Um, you know, we've, we've played some teams where guys are in the 30s, and that, to me, is a really key piece of information because – you know when they touch the ball, they're going to be aggressive. So uh, that stat alone tells me that you have to con- you can't get low to sleep at all whenever this guy's involved in touching the ball because he's probably shooting if he's above thirty percent. Um, is that you want to talk a little bit about offensive rating and usage uh, and, and how you kind of designed it and what it means uh, for different players at different usage levels? Yeah, yeah, I think you did a great job explaining it, but, uh, you know, this is another thing that I, you know, got from Dean Oliver, and, uh, you know, it's just really offensive rating is just kind of a personal measure of efficiency, and usage is, is kind of a measure of, of their role in the offense, and you can't separate the two. I think there's a tendency, you know, fans especially want, like, one number, and, uh, and I think really if you want to, you know, just think more deeply about how a team's offense works, you got to separate the two numbers, you know, the player's efficiency and his role, and, uh, you know, as you pointed out, like, you look at a guy like Javi Floyd, like, what's interesting about him is that not only is he, like, the highest usage guy on the team, like, he's not super high usage, but he's a clear, like, go-to guy on the team. Um, he's also their most efficient player. So, I mean, clearly that dude is, like, the most important player um, offensively on the team. Um, and he's also been, like, a little bit foul-prone uh, during conference play as well. So, like, that's something that I would kind of clue in on. Like, you know, there's certainly a possibility that, um, you know, you can get this guy off the court maybe for a few minutes a game because um, that's obviously to your advantage. Uh, you know, once they don't really have like a, a you know, a, a, a guy that, that can come in and replace them that can give nearly production that he has. Like their entire team makeup is going to change when he's off the floor. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, the other point about kind of the smaller roles and not getting too concerned about the offensive rating. I mean, I think the guys with the smaller roles are definitely – to me, more dependent on kind of the teammates for, um, you know, the quality of the shots or, or what kind of offense they're going to produce. And, um, you know, to the extent that you can, you know, force those guys to play bigger roles, you really – it's hard to, like, force a guy to play a bigger role, but certainly to the extent that you can prevent their, you know, their high-usage teammates from, I guess, opening up opportunities for those guys, um, it's to your advantage. But I think clearly, that, you know, the focus of your game plan is going to be on the high-usage guys and either – in the case of the guys who are efficient, you know, it's really trying to kind of make their shots more difficult. Or there are some guys who are high usage who are really not efficient at all, and you could argue are, are drags on the offense. And then it's like, well, you know, we don't really need to help off of him to, to uh, you know, force him into tougher shots. Like, we can probably play him straight up, and he's going to, you know, be taking tough shots and making questionable decisions anyway. So, yeah. Yeah, it's kind, yeah, it's kind, kind of important to understand that. Yeah. Yeah. And then moving on to some of these other stats, like, you mentioned it a little bit, but I think fouls committed and fouls drawn is really important. And like you said, if you see someone that's foul prone, uh, I'm immediately telling my, my, my bigs, or it doesn't have to be a big, but uh, when they're guarding you, fakes probably work. And that's very general. But if you're fouling a lot, that means you're getting off balance most of the time. So that'll be something like fakes will probably work against foul prone guys. And you may be playing a guy that gets a lot of steals, 
that you see fouls a lot. So then you just kind of – that's an emphasis coming to the game. Like, look, he's going to smack you. He gets away with some, but he fouls a lot. So, you know, we just played a team that has three guys. Uh, Bucknell has three guys whose fouls committed are really high. So, you know, going into that game, whenever they're guarding you, you better be ready because they're not going to call every foul, but you know that if they're getting steals and they foul a lot, most likely they're aggressive on the ball. So those are the type of things that you can gain from fouls committed and fouls drawn um, that, I've, that I think are pretty important. Uh, and then I just kind of look for anything else that sticks out. So, you know, I'm, I'm looking at Caleb Green here who has a higher three-point percentage than two-point percentage. So he actually takes quite a bit of twos for, for a little guard. Um, but that, to me, kind of says something. Like, I don't want to give – I'd rather run him off the line. I'm not saying you have this choice all the time, but I'd rather run him off the line than short closeout to him just based on the numbers. Now I'll go, go and watch film and see if that's the case. But, you know, that I always start with the numbers and then kind of form an opinion and then back that up. Uh, through film or, or try and back it up and see why. Uh, so that those those are a couple things uh, that I'm seeing. Is, is there anything else on this page that you think uh, is important that, that I may be missing or that others may be missing that could could help us? Uh, well, just to piggyback like on your two point comment, um, you know, invariably when you see a guy who has a really poor two point percentage, you know, the two point percentage number is heavily affected by the type of shots they're getting. So if you're able to get to the rim, like your two point percentage is probably pretty good, and you know if you're shooting sub forty percent on twos, like you're probably taking a lot of mid range. You, you really don't have an ability to get to the rim. Um, again, that's something as you said you're going to see on film, but something to kind of keep in the back of your mind. I think that you know the other thing I, I look at the rebounding percentages. You know those are a big deal. Um, assist rate is a pretty big deal, especially for um, for bigs as well. Like you, you know we were talking about this. Javi Floyd, and I mean, his assist rate in conference play is 24%. So uh, he's, you know, got some characteristics that are kind of like typical of a, a big man where he's a shot blocker and, um, you know, he's a, a decent rebounder, but he's also clearly like a guy that has some, some court sense and, and can see the floor. And uh, obviously in Bill Carmody's system, I mean, I'm sure he's, you know, uh, obviously being featured in some sort of, you know, the Princeton offense, you know, in the high post or something like that, maybe he's, He's getting his assist that way, but uh, you know, in a more conventional offense, that would be something that would jump out to me. It's like, hey, wow, like this guy, you can't. If you're going to double him, like he's, you know, he's going to find the open man. So you also have to be aware of that. Yeah, that, 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 that. I mean, he is a he is a really good passer. So that that is, uh, um, and just watching him, you, you see him. I, I I don't really love assist rate as a barometer for passing, and maybe I'm wrong in this, but so uh, I I look at the traditional box score and look at assisted turnovers to kind of get a sense of how a guy passes rather than the assist rate, only because um, – now, what the assist rate is, correct me if I'm wrong, it's total assists over total shots, or, or what is it? It's, um, what, it's what is that number? Is uh, it? Yeah, it's the percentage of, your, it's percentage of your teammates made baskets that you are assisting. Percentage of your team's baskets that you are assisting. teammates. Yeah. So yeah. So not your own. Okay. Take your own out of it. But your teammates made baskets while you're on the floor. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, okay. So so that that that, that is uh, I thought it was the other way around, but that is um, fairly important. But I, I I do when I think of assists, like I hardly ever look at that number, and and maybe I should more. But I, I look at the traditional box score for knowing if a guy's a good passer because I just like to see the raw number of assists to turnovers. And to me, that, that kind of gives you a better idea of your decision-making um, rather than assist percentage and turnover percentage um, because you can kind of see, like, is he one-to-one, is he two-to-one, is he one-to-two. Um, that, to me, I, I always I, that's the number that I always look at to determine, you know, how good a passer someone is. Or, um, But maybe I should be looking at assist rate a little bit, too, um, when, when, when thinking about that. So uh, now, now I kind of want to – I know uh, – uh, you, your time is very valuable here, so I want to I want to get to a couple other things here. Um, now, I, I live on your site, obviously, and one of the things that I'm always on is the conference pages. So I think that is like the easiest way to kind of see where you stand in league and uh, and how you stack up in different stats within league. Um, and the thing that I think many people don't do. I think everyone kind of looks at the conference pages and uh, loves the projections, loves to see, 
you know, oh, especially early in the year, all right, we, we, he's got us at 18 and 10 through 28, and then watch that number, like, slowly climb or slowly go down as you win more or lose more. Um, that's kind of the fun part of it. But this page, to me, is, is really important. And, and to see the aggregate stats of your league can tell you a little bit about, you know, your preparation. So in just looking at the Patriot League, we have some, like, extreme things. So our two-point percentage offense, or I guess offense and defense, is 50, 52.8, which is second in the country. Assisted field goals, which you talked about earlier, is second in the country. So that's pretty impressive or pretty, I don't know, impressive is the wrong word, but just knowing that that means we're getting a lot of layups, like you said earlier. So uh, is there anything on this page that you think might be of value or, or that we may be missing? Yeah, I think that's a great point. Certainly, like, I think especially for, like, long longer-term planning, like, just understanding what it takes you know, what it takes to win in your league. Like, I think for the vast majority of programs out there, like, they're concerned about competing, you know, for league championships and, uh, you know, ideally winning their conference tournament, but certainly, like, competing for, for league titles and kind of understanding what is valued in your league is important. Like, you know, there's very little fouling in your league. There's uh, great shooting. And, um, you know, off the top of my head, I'm not necessarily sure how you, like, leverage that information maybe to, to get an advantage, but – you know, if you're in a league with where there's a lot of great three-point shooters, you know, year after year, like you kind of want to, you know, tailor your defense to to stopping that, you know, and, and mm-hmm. defending that better. Um, whereas there, there are other leagues where guys are getting to the hole and they're, you know, you, you mentioned the assist rate. There's some some leagues where you know guys get to the hole, you know, off the dribble more frequently. And then it's you know, hey, how do we how do we stop that? If you're in a league with great shot blockers and great rim protectors, you know, you need to maybe um, adjust that, you know, kind of going forward and. and uh, you know, try to recruit to a, a team that, um, you know, isn't going to uh, play into, you know, the, the defensive strengths. So, um, yeah, I do. it's interesting that you look at it because I've kind of, you know, when teams ask me, like, what they need to do or what they need to change, like, sometimes I can look at that and say, hey, you know, there's some advantages you can get um, in your league just by kind of changing the your defensive philosophy um, accordingly. Yep, yep. Um, all right, now I kind of want to turn it over to you and, and uh, um, you know, is, is there any – uh, anything that you have on the docker you think that, that may that would be valuable that may be too hard to program or write the code for that that you uh, think people would enjoy or you know coaches or media or whoever might enjoy features that aren't on the site well I, again I think I'm gonna kind of turn it around turn it back to you maybe a little bit and ask you about some things like do you find any value like in the in the depth chart, the lineup information on the site? Um, not really. Not, okay. <laughs> not really. So, I, um, you know, I, I don't really use it a whole lot. Uh, maybe that's because that is just so easily seen in film and yeah. when it's played. Um, so I don't – I hardly ever look at that um, is, is the truth uh, of yeah, okay. how I attack it. Are you interested in, like, Plus minus lineup information. What yeah, is your so What are your thoughts I, I, on I know, that? I know I'm a stats guy, and I've done a lot of reading. I actually did a podcast with the Open Look guys. Um, I'm I'm not a big five man plus minus guy, and I'm I'm a a little bit of an individual to one to two man plus minus guy. So I, I do like to see those numbers, but in everything that I've ever read. Uh, those numbers can be so flawed that that uh, I guess I guess it would be to my advantage then if they were on there and I and other people were using them as gospel and and I just was using them as a, another <laughs> right. measure um, because I would definitely look at it and because it's fun to see but I don't know if I would base all my decisions uh, you know they're not my decisions right now I'm an assistant coach but in in helping the head coach make those decisions on playing time. Uh, you know, we do we do have some plus minus stuff that that we use, but like I said, it's not uh, an overarching thing that that will will guide our decision making. Uh, you know, completely. Yeah, well, that's good to hear because I, uh, I mean, you read my stuff, so you kind of know how I feel about it. Certainly, you know, in the short season that college basketball has, and the varying uh, degrees of schedule strength and things like that, like plus minus can be pretty variable and definitely uh, yeah. misused. And I feel like just kind of, you can really, for the most part, 
for an individual's impact on the court, you can look at their, you know, their raw numbers in various categories and kind of get a feel for how they would impact the game if they got on the court. Yep. Um, you know, it's not true for everybody. There's some players who obviously don't necessarily stuff the box score and maybe have some, some things that they do well that, uh, that help the team. But, um, that's it. If you're wondering why I don't add that to my site, that's, that's why. I'm afraid it would get, like, misused. And I know there's other resources, but other places you can get that information. But um, I <laughs> something that kind of held firm to um, over time. Um, I, I, mean, yeah. I think you've done a great job, like, covering the, the site and what, you know, what a coach would use. I, I don't know if you use, like, the minutes trends on that on that expanded players page. That's the one thing that I – if I'm kind of putting together some information for a coach, like, I, if I'm not super familiar with the team, I'll look at that and get a feel for – Injuries or playing time trends or things like that. Um, that well, really where is that? Get. You mean just like percent percent of minutes played? Is that what you, is that what you're talking no, about? No. So so on the expanded player page at the very bottom, there's a uh, basically a list of how many um, minutes a, a player has played in every game, and it's um, uh, just kind of a handy reference. It has like boxes around the starters as well for each game. Yeah, so, yeah, that, that's, yeah. Uh, I didn't even know that was there. So that's a, that's a good one. <laughs> okay. Because I, I do look at the synergy numbers for that, but this is this is kind of kind of nice to see too. Yeah, that's uh, for me. That's helpful. I've kind of thought about like adding actually all of their well, actually their basic stats like point three rounds of assists to that page as well. So yeah, that'd be that'd be interesting. Right? Yeah. Yeah, it gets really busy visually if you do that, but it can be pretty helpful once you kind of uh, orient yourself and get your bearings just to see kind of trends in, in player production as well. But um, that's like now, the only what, thing. What about what about injuries? Like you, um, your numbers don't take injuries into account at all, right? So like we played without our starting point guard uh, Jordan Burns for five games. That doesn't that nothing will show up in the stats or your in your pages to account for that. Is that correct? That yeah, that's correct. Um the only thing that I you know the only way I account for that is the kind of weight um the uh weight give more recent games more weight when it comes to the adjusted efficiencies. Um so theoretically like if there's a big change, you know, once that player gets is out of the lineup, you know, in the first couple of games he's out, if there's a big change, like the ratings should adjust a little more quickly, but um yeah, I know Bart Torvik, like, he has some stuff on his site about kind of how teams will change if you remove a player from the lineup, and that stuff uh, seems pretty promising um, from a predictive What's standpoint. A, what site is that? I don't know if I've seen that one. That's uh, uh, yeah. yeah, so Bart Torvik, barttorvik.com, I believe, is the site. Um, so, right. well, I'll, I'll yeah. have to check that one out. Yeah, he has a lot of stuff for, like, trends and things like that. So um, if you're interested in that aspect of things, um, you know, player trends and team trends. You got to be a little careful, you know, not, you know, not um, reading too much meaning into some of those things, but certainly there's ways to like break down data that I don't have on my site. So uh, it's kind of a, an interesting approach to take a look at as well. Yep. Yep. Now, is there anything else uh, that you wanted to touch on that people ask questions about or, you know, we, we, we did it from a coach's perspective, but obviously there's a lot more uh, on here. Is there anything else you <laughs> wanted to touch on? Um, you know, the only thing we, probably we really didn't get to that might be useful is uh, the player pages themselves, um, especially early in the season, you know, to see kind of a, a career progression. Even later in the season, it's useful, too, I guess, to see a career progression. But, you know, a lot of times early in the season, you'll look at a player, and he's, you know, 6 for 12 on free throws or something, and you might think, oh, we need to, you know, that's the guy we need to foul at the end of the game. But, you know, you look at what he did last year and the year before, and he's like a 78% free throw shooter on his career or something. And um, from watching games on TV, like that kind of information is hardly ever taken advantage of early in the season. But um, even for like three-point percentage, I think looking at a player's like career three-point percentage can be useful as well. You know, if he's a 32% shooter this year and he was a 42% shooter last year, like, you know, you definitely should respect what he can do from the three-point line more than just the, the current season's three-point percentage might be to believe. So there's just trying to, I guess, understand there's like, for three-point shooting, especially, there's tremendous variance, even for individual shooters from year to year. And so understanding Absolutely. that is, yeah. uh, is important. Two-point shooting is different. Like, there's definitely more signal from year to year. So if a guy's made a massive change from one year to the next, like, that's something you should definitely, like, respect. But three-point shooting maybe is uh, um, something that there's so much variance. Like, definitely, like, refer to, like, previous seasons, I think, to, to get a really full picture of how good a shooter that guy is. 
for sure, for sure. Um, well, good. Well, well, uh, I, I'm I'm really glad we got a chance to do this. Hopefully, uh, this helped people that were scared of the data and helped people that right. use it and and found other ways now to use it to help them more um, in some type of preparation or if your media in some type of way to know the the teams better as you uh, prepare to to cover them. So uh, thank you so much, Ken. This was great. Um, you know, if, if uh, you're ever out in the central New York area again, we got tickets for you, and uh, hopefully uh, we can get you back out here because you saw a loss, and, and uh, <laughs> I don't like losing. So, <laughs> But thanks again for coming on, and uh, I'm sure we'll, we'll be in touch uh, again with questions or statistical things in the future. All right. Sounds great, Dave. Thanks for having me on. appreciate it. Right. Bye-bye.